podcast. As always, I'm your host, Sean Gallia-Parch, and this week we're going to be joined by Pauline Potter, Director of Procurement at Every. It's a really great conversation centered around procurement transformation, digitalization, talent, and the importance of sustainability in the industry. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the CPO Strategy Podcast. The dedicated procurement podcast brought to you by CPO Strategy Magazine that delivers valuable C-level perspective into the core issues surrounding procurement transformation, digitalization, sustainability, talent, the procure tech ecosystem, and more. Each episode delivers powerful and inspiring insight from those who are leading transformation strategies within the world's biggest and best-known companies. The CPO Strategy Podcast. Disrupt. Transform. Evolve. As is the case with many procurement professionals, Pauline Potter found her way into the industry by mistake. But now here, she wouldn't have had it any other way. Having originally trained as an engineer, Pauline discusses the journey she has been on during her procurement career to date, which has now led her to a leadership position at Every. I think that's the standing joke in the industry, but absolutely it was true for me. There's very few people I've met that hasn't been true for. Um, But I quite like, I think a lot of us, rather than fell into, I think we found procurement, if that makes sense. Like all of our previous things are leading us to this path. I am... I trained as an engineer and decided I didn't want to be an engineer. I liked kind of the analytical side, but I wanted more interaction with people in a day to day. I then went into consulting and I I liked that a lot of things about that in manufacturing, again, technical, interpersonal, did a bit in supply chain and then found procurement and was like, ah, this is this is where I fit. I think when I when I first started my first procurement consulting role, I I did think, oh, this is another tool in my supply chain belt um, that I will move on from. Um, I don't think that's the case anymore. I think I am here to stay. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know or is not UK based, every other largest dedicated parcel delivery carrier in the UK. We have grown just exponentially, particularly since COVID. We've gone through a major rebrand and procurement was only centralized back in 2018. So absolutely loads of change. And that's one of my favorite things about my role, to be honest, is I've gotten to help sort of grow and shape and develop the existing team. Um, and we work really closely with pretty much every level of our executive team. So I get to work quite closely with our head of ESG and our directors of sales and that type of thing that um, in, in previous versions of life, when I was in uh, procurement consultancy and going in and out of lots of different businesses, that's typically what you're hoping to do. I feel very lucky that I'm able to do it here. The procurement space has certainly experienced a lot of transformation and disruption in equal measure over the past few years. In order to overcome such issues, being agile and receptive to change has been a non-negotiable. Pauline believes better visibility in the supply chain could hold the key. There's loads of disruption. That's a common common theme people are familiar with. I think the joke that one of my uh, colleagues has used recently is that procurement is the everything everywhere all at once function these days. Um, People just keep piling expectations onto the procurement teams, which is great for people like me who love procurement and want it to be more and more strategic, but also really challenging because you're putting more tasks onto the teams. Can you measure, you know, traceability of suppliers? Now we need diverse suppliers. Now we need to lower our footprint. Now we need to do, and we want to do all of those things, but kind of cramming more and more into the day. And how do you find efficiency and how do you make that still enjoyable and exciting and things like that. Um, In general, I think where the landscape lies, 
I think there's a recognition in general that procurement is this strategic function, which is absolutely essential to businesses. I'm not sure that that was as well understood, maybe let's say five or 10 years ago. Um, and I don't think we're anywhere near through the disruption either, which is really important. Um, I think we're only going to continue seeing these sort of climate incentivized supply chain disruption, political incentivized supply chain disruption, you know, labor changes, things like that. Uh, so it's going to continue to be important, not just to shock over COVID. Everyone in the business is trying to get more and more insight. What's coming? What are the risks? What might change? And procurement are really well placed to do that because a, we network really well internally. That should be a core skill set of any procurement team. And then B, you're getting insight from you know, your entire supply base and what are they thinking about and what are their risks. So no, it's it's nice. It's very much, um, it's a lot more solicited, I would say, than we saw previously. As the conversation turns to people, Pauline discusses how procurement can overcome talent shortages, how employers can be flexible to meet their workforce's needs and gender diversity. I think, um, it's interesting, like you said at the beginning, a lot of people fall into procurement. I, I certainly didn't know that this was a, a profession when I was at university, and I don't think I'm alone in that, uh, which is crazy to me, because I genuinely think this is such a fantastic sort of career path that people can take. It's hugely variable, loads of paths you can go down. You can apply a similar skill set to loads of different businesses. So I genuinely think the first one is just raising the profile, um, be that in recruiting or on LinkedIn or, you know, things like this. But just the fact that procurement exists as a profession and a career path needs to be out there because people are missing out on things that could be really, really fantastic at. And I think it's becoming more of a dedicated um, university degree as well. Our We have a procurement graduate in our team and she studied sort of procurement and supply chain as part of her master's. And again, if, if that had been offered to me as an opportunity at university, I probably would have bit your hand off. And I'm pretty positive it didn't exist when, when I was there. So that's quite nice to see as well. Um, I'm such a believer you can come from lots of different backgrounds and be really successful in procurement. So people don't need to feel like they've come from a dedicated procurement or supply chain or even buying background, right? If you have any version of you like analytics and you like working with people and you're willing to do a little bit of negotiation, then and you can turn this into a path that works for you. So I think that's definitely true, because we're changing the brand to understanding this is not some tiny niche skill set. It's actually learning the skills is not that hard. It's applying them. <laughs> that's, that's really challenging. But there's more and more sort of free resource out there. So things like um, the Sustainable Procurement Pledge, which is you know free to join and just has loads and loads of different resources. And it's sort of the conversation around involving ESG and procurement. I'm seeing more and more non-procurement people reference that initiative as it's building scale, which is amazing to see. And I think that's the perfect example of, nope, doors open if you want to be involved, here's the options. In 2023, there is still a major disparity in terms of female representation in procurement. With this in mind, Pauline questions the place the industry finds itself in while discussing the opportunity procurement has to address that gender gap in a bid to encourage greater diversity into the space. Speaking from my own experience, I think we are we are woefully behind, especially given you know my previous statement. You can come from loads of different educational backgrounds, loads of different um, job experience backgrounds, professional backgrounds. Um, so it's really surprising to me every time that I see procurement functions that still have sort of a 70-30, 80-20 type of male to female ratio. Um, so I do think it is, if, if not a problem, it's certainly an opportunity to, to be addressed. Um, 
And it's definitely a big focus because I notice there, there's differences and it's not just exclusive to gender, right? It's, it's having a diverse team means you need to have different management styles. You need to adapt to different people's approaches for any reason, right? Um, and so I think being able to have a team and especially leadership in your team and your business that are actively encouraging that and willing to do that, not I can only work with this one particular mold of person is super important. I think probably applies to both, but from my experience, even more so for women is the ability to do flexible working does make a huge impact. And um, it shouldn't be the case in 2023, but unfortunately it still is that a lot of the more sort of traditional um, household management and family management tasks tend to fall to women. So a really good example is I, I don't mind at all if my team need to log off at 3 p.m. and go pick up children and do dinner and bath runs and things like that, and then log on for an hour in the evening. We're a very output oriented, both our team and the wider business, which I think is super important because it means that you're not sort of putting people at a trade-off of do they need to deal with their sort of home commitments and their work commitments. And again, that that hopefully should apply to both genders, but in, in my experience, it tends to apply more to women. I'm, I'm an absolute believer that hybrid is the right approach. I think working from home 100% of the time, you lose out on a lot. Um, I don't think it's risky. I don't think it's lower output. I just think it's it's worse as a job in general, and it's harder to get on with, especially in procurement. You need to be there with your stakeholders. You need to touch and feel what you buy, that kind of thing, and get to know the junior team because you hear a lot in you know, overheard at the coffee chat type of thing. You can't get that when you're just on Teams calls. But, but equally, if, if you're doing that and you're going to site or going to the office and you're just sitting on eight hours of Teams calls because no one else is in the office, then that's not a good use of time. So I do. I think I think hybrid works really well, at least for our business. Appreciate there's different business models, but um, and I do think it's a big enabler. It allows people to be more flexible with their with their home life versus their work life. With digital transformation continuing to have an ever-increasing influence on business strategy, Pauline recognises its value but believes there must be a plan in place before any implementation to ensure that anything introduced will serve as actually improving what's already there. So at risk of sounding like a little bit of a Luddite, I'm, I'm definitely very sceptical of new sort of technology and systems. I think that it's, it's too often and I've seen it happen too much that they're bandied about as solving all things. Um, and I definitely believe that first you need sort of your data, your people, your process to be right. Because if those are not right, then no system in the world is gonna, gonna fix that bit for you. So I think what's really interesting is we've seen exactly just such a massive proliferation of technology. You know, there's a tool for everything in procurement now, right? <laughs> Absolutely anything you ever wanna measure or report on or do or interact, then there, there's a version for that. Um, but if that's taken just sort of one case at a time, I don't think you're going to get any benefit from it. It's what outcomes overall as a function or as a business do we want to achieve? And do we have all the things in place that then will then allow the technology to enable that to happen rather than to make it happen, if that makes sense? And it's so easy to get caught up in, you know, here's the latest or oh, there's this new brand new startup and they're going to change the world with this. I'm always happy to take those calls. I really enjoy seeing what that looks like. It's just quite rare that they're the ones we, we proceed forward with because they're still figuring out their use case, we're still figuring out our needs type of thing. That being said, there, there are things that every single day are are changing and influencing. So so some of the you know AI developments and things like we've um, recently integrated 
new supplier that basically helps a bit of self-service. Um, so you can use your chat through Teams to say, you know, what's our procurement policy? What is this? Where do I find my um, expenses policy? How do I, who can I talk to about packaging? Um, and it's not fully rolled out. It's not fully finalized, but that's exactly what you want because none of that is exciting things the procurement team should be answering. Right? That's we can build the, build all of these um, you know critical content materials and then allow the business to self serve. And I think that's the important. The more and more we can leverage technology to help the business help themselves for the things that don't need the kind of clever human intervention on top, um, the better. I don't think it will sort of take jobs away per se. I think it will change the job profile the same way like the steam engine did and, and the automated automotive vehicle did and things like that. I think it will, particularly for junior levels is where it's on kind of my front of mind. I think that will change. I don't know about you, but where I got really good at a lot of my foundations was doing a bit of the grunt work. If, if it, you know, it's not too risky to call it that is you do things that are not that exciting, but it helps you understand why and, and you get familiar with the bones of it and you understand oh well that's how that feeds into that how that feeds into that um how the data sits together and things like that so it's not very glamorous but it's really important for the learning process absolutely you know ChatGPT and other ai programs will be able to do that much faster in the future so how are those junior team members how are we going to train them how are we going to upskill them I want them to be ready in five years to do all the kind of critical thinking elements or, you know, personal interaction, stakeholder, stakeholder influencing, supplier negotiation. I don't need a chatbot to do any of those things. But actually, if they don't have those foundations, it's going to be harder for them to get there, I think. So it's just more of a rethink of the skill set and how we how we train and upskill the junior workforce. I, I also don't know. I've had this debate with a number of um, people in my network recently of, will that make it easier or harder for people to move businesses? Because I think there's things that will enable, again, if, if there's automation doing the first 80%, so some of those nuances that you might've had to learn on the job and that takes a bit harder, maybe that makes it easier for you to move from business to business because you're more focusing on your soft skills skill set. Um, or maybe if it's still fairly specific, this is the way that we use ChatGPT, then actually maybe people will elongate you know, a longer turnover cycle than we're currently seeing today. So I don't know where that one's going to go, but again, front of mind. Sustainability is an important item on the C-Level agenda today, with ESG considered a key pillar to every. Pauline affirms her firm's green approach is front and centre of decision making. So every you have a number of very public ESG commitments, uh, including net zero for scope one, two and three by 2035, um, which is very ambitious and I think is fantastic. I think we are well ahead of um, sort of our broader industry in this space. Um, and it is very front of mind. So it is an executive level discussion. It's something that I work very closely with our head of ESG on. I think we are still early in the journey, as is most of the world, to be honest. Um, but I think it's getting clearer the ways that we can influence it, if that makes sense. So I get my sort of head of ESG and her support team are great at helping us understand here's the things to look for or here's the ways that we can probably influence this type of suppliers scope three emissions. Here's the ways that we can look at opportunities for them. Um, and then we can then use that and our same exact procurement skill set, because that's the joy, is it's the same same skills that it takes to go out and kind of drive change in that as it takes to drive cost out. 
Um, so no, very high on the agenda and very important. I think really interestingly as well, it's sort of an increasing priority for procurement professionals in general as well. It's something we see consistently in our recruitment processes. It's something I personally am really passionate about. I don't think I could work for a company, especially after this, that kind of ESG was not on the top of their agenda. Because even if it's not part of every discussion, every single moment of the day, it absolutely needs to be in there for many, if not most of them. I think it was um, it was never pushed aside. It was definitely, there were moments where we probably had to make some very short-term choices, but because we knew if they were not ideal for our ESG agenda, we sort of shortened the decision horizons. We're like, well, well, it's fine for us to do that for two months, and when we're away from that position, let's make the broader strategic decision. So I think we've been quite good at that, is even if it's not the right thing for now, let's not prevent us from doing the right thing very shortly in the future, if that makes sense. So there's things, I guess, from a cost perspective, there are so many things that you can do that are still hand in hand. They're not mutually exclusive with sustainability and ourselves included. People should just get on and do those things. I think it's easy to cite. It might be more expensive. And that is true for some things like, you know, you look at hydrogen vehicles. Those are not a solution we can implement overnight. They're just so disproportionately expensive. But there are so many things we can do in waste and recycling and electric vehicles and fuel alternatives and, you know, mileage reduction and fuel efficiency and all of these other things that it's definitely not prohibitive from that. I think personally, the bigger barrier, one is um, a genuine understanding of how to influence it. I think that that sort of literacy in things like carbon footprint and things like that is just it, it is technical. And if you've not come across it and you don't have people surrounding you who really care about it. I think it's hard to do on your own. Um, so again, I think we benefit from that in our business. I don't think every business has that, that benefit. And then two, I think that there is, um, <clears throat> I, I've heard this phrase recently, so I'm, I keep reusing it, it's called green wishing. So it's it's the, the positive intent version of green washing, which is like, maybe you're not intending to deceive, but you're probably making more of it. That's like when people, you know, try to recycle things that are not recyclable. That's, that's, admirable as an intent, but is not making it better. I think a lot of suppliers do that. And again, I'd, I'd love to believe that that's a non-intentional, they're not just using it as a sales pitch. They think that that's a solution, but actually it's not any more sustainable. So I think that makes it harder when, again, if our procurement team is doing everything everywhere all at once, <laughs> then also trying to sift through the facts of, is that a genuine claim is another thing that will, you know, they have to fit into the day in the, in the process, if that makes sense. With partnerships considered essential to long-term success in the supply chain, Pauline stresses those relationships are critical and both parties must be aligned to ensure long-term success can be achieved. So increasingly, and I'd say we're again in, in the stages of rolling this out, I would say it's nowhere near perfect if we're honest, but we are looking for uh, especially our major strategic suppliers, especially those who are directly linked to our services. So things like you know outsourced logistics and fleet suppliers and things like that. We are looking for them to, at least as a minimum, uh, be very transparent with their carbon footprinting data. It's, again, in 2023, not acceptable to have no idea what your carbon footprint is. It's, it's easy and pretty low cost to do. And um, what we'd like to move towards over the next, let's call it, two, three year time horizon is them sharing our commitments. Because, again, we, we set our target because our clients, our major retail partners, they set the commitment. So we, of course, want to back to back with them. Um, 
And then we look for them to bring us ideas and innovation. So that's something we're trying to pull more and more systematically out of our supply base saying, what options do we have? Again, even if it's not hydrogen vehicle tomorrow, there must be other things that we can do. So what options do we have? What are you looking at? We expect you to be looking at it and thinking about it. Relationships are really there for when things are unstable, right? It's, it's easy to have lots of transactional relationships when you know exactly what your exchange rate's going to be, you know exactly what your trading volume's going to be, you know exactly, but you know, we certainly don't. I don't think anyone else does. Um, so it's really, really important that we're looking for ways that we can work together and have that sort of, yeah, when, when things are more volatile than we would perhaps like, <laughs> can rely on each other for that. Looking ahead, Pauline provides an insight into what the future for every looks like over the next few years. Um, so I think in general, if I think about our sort of three year strategy, I think it, it absolutely will involve increased technology investment. So where can we get better data from our supply base, better tracking of some of those key metrics that we don't want to track manually anymore and take some of it, as we've said, sort of more, more repetitive administration activities out of the team because we are going to be tasking them with increased focus on sustainability and risk and resilience and supplier diversity and things like that. Um, I think ESG will only grow on the agenda, if I'm honest. I've, I've put in this year, I have a scope three reduction target uh, in my bonusable objectives, and that's sort of cascaded out through the team. I think that will continue. I think putting specific initiatives in is going to continue to be really front of mind. Um, and then what I'd really like to see in our function, again, I think we're quite good at working across our entire breadth of the business, but I'd like to see closer and closer links to you know, sales function, planning function, things like that for, at the start of our initial demand triggers, what do we want and what do we want to include and how do we think about that? So kind of continuing to, to integrate across our stakeholder base. Reflecting on the beginning of her career, Pauline mulls over whether she would change anything on her procurement journey if she was given her time again. I don't know that I would change anything, but I would say I've learned a hell of a lot, if that's fair. Um, I, I read a book in my at the end of my second job, which I absolutely loved and I recommend to people constantly, called The Long View by Brian Fetterstonhoff. And it's all about how for you know the average person, your career is four decades long. So rather than thinking I need to be X in my 20s or Y in my 30s, you know, how do you build a career that you love and genuinely will get the benefit that you want out of over that full four decade period? Um, and I, I personally had a big change in mindset at that point um, that I was definitely not in that headspace at 22. So um, that I think is my biggest sort of reflection, I would say. I've, I've loved my career and learned a lot and had a lot of really great experiences that have led me to here. Um, but I think that is a big difference. And I'm now now very much think about how do I lay the ground, you know, groundwork for what does the next 10 years look like in terms of on the round what will what will make me happy and my, my family happy and things like that thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the cpo strategy podcast i hope you've enjoyed it and if you have make sure that you subscribe or like our social media pages so that you never miss an episode i'll see you next time